Hey everyone, it's Max Rivlin-Adler, a worker owner at Hellgate, and we're back with two special episodes of the Hellgate podcast. Specifically, we're here to chat about the Eric Adams Table of Success, an interactive feature that Hellgate just released with the help of Type Investigations. It's our way of giving readers insight into who is in Mayor Adams' orbit, how they're related, and why it matters. So go to our website right now and check out the Table of Success, www.hellgatenyc.com. These two episodes will make a lot more sense once you do. It's okay if you haven't yet, though, if you're in transit, whatever, that's fine. Listen up, because right now, the gang is going to talk about the table's genesis, as well as some of the interesting people who sit there. So sit back, relax, and let your haters be your waiters. Obviously, I'm Max, and I'm joined today by four other Hellgate worker owners, including Nick Pinto. Hey, what's up, Max? I'm here with Katie Way. Yeah, what's up? I'm here with uh, uh, Chris Robbins. Hello, I'm here with Adlin Jackson. Yo, I am happy to be here with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear, we're not in separate pods with each other. We are all in the same space. So why did we decide to interactively engage with the Eric Adams Table of Success? What was the genesis of this project and why was it important? Chris, you want to kick us off? I don't remember when we first started talking about, wouldn't it be cool if we had a sort of map or list of all of the mayor's like connections in government and business. And I think it was like more than a year ago. And this was a dream for quite some time. And then as the investigation into the mayor's campaign became clear in early November, the table of success like took on a kind of new urgency in that people wanted to know about the mayor and the people he both works with in City Hall and the people he's been building relationships with across New York City, you know, in decades of public service. So yeah, at some point this summer, we, I guess, talked to type investigations and they were willing to help us out on it. And then once we got the green light, we all just sat down and started tossing names out and then the table was was kind of born eric adams i hope if you're listening to this by now that you know he has this saying that he came back to a lot make your haters into your waiters at the table of success Uh, there are so many permutations let your haters be your waiters all my haters become my waiters when i sit down at the table of success really i think is kind of the best way to put it I think it just really does encapsulate like what he's all about like the idea that your critics as the mayor of New York City are not merely you know critics they're actually your haters but that you will be vindicated when they have to serve you when you are successful it's just like every it is you know and it's good advice a little bit we should talk about who's sitting at the table of success and so to do that what we've done on the website is we've created five separate categories that we're going to go through during these podcast episodes. Um, they are after hours, business, city hall, cops, and campaign. All of those have overlaps. People fit into different little categories, but we're going to kind of go through them um, one by one. Not everyone. We're going to pick some of our favorites to discuss. We encourage you to go to the website, check it all out yourself, but. 
I think a great place to start would be with the campaign, which has come under such scrutiny, especially since early November with the federal raids. So, Chris, why don't you tell us about the first person that we're going to talk about from the campaign and why we had not heard this name uh, before November, but she's become central to the FBI's investigation. Yeah. So early November, um, federal agents raid a home in Brooklyn and it's the home of Eric Adams's main campaign fundraiser, Brianna Suggs. This name, as Max said, was like new to us when this happened. Uh, I believe the New York Times was the first outlet to report it. People just sort of, um, our, our reaction was like everyone else's, like, who is Brianna Suggs? I think what was most initially astounding about her is that she's been working for Adams since she was a teenager. She started in the Brooklyn Borough President's Office as an intern. And she was only 25 years old when she was collecting money on behalf of the campaign. Or was she even younger? A baby, a baby. Yeah, 25. Yeah, like I I think she was 23. And now she's 25. Yeah, she's 25 right now. So when she's doing the 2021 campaign, she's like, uh, you know, barely out of college, which Jordan year. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I, I, I don't like as I, speaking for my 25-year-old self, I wouldn't trust my 25-year-old self to order a pizza, let alone like manage <laughs> some $8 million of campaign funds that the mayor was bringing in. Um, so that was like the first sort of like surprising detail about Brianna Suggs. Yeah, she started, I'm looking at the table entry right now. Um, she started as an intern when she was 19. And, you know, doing all this fundraising work for Adams made her... A considerable amount of money. Again, for a 25 year old, this or a 23 year old, these are like unfathomable sums of money. She made like a hundred grand, you know, working for his campaign. Um, she made another hundred grand working as a fundraiser for a political action committee. I mean, what's so surprising to me is that nobody caught, even before the raid, nobody caught that the chief fundraiser for Eric Adams, for the guy running for mayor. Um, was this 23-year-old, was this, like, super young person who obviously, like, by dint of her age, simply is, like, not experienced enough. Just to give you a sense, like, when people run campaigns for as public and as big an office as the mayor of New York City, which involves public matching funds, you know, outside fundraising, it's basically like a two-year-long slog to get to that primary date for, like, anybody These are like people oftentimes who have run campaigns before, have like tons of experience. Um, And instead, you have this really inexperienced young person who, you know, when they do the federal raid, has uh, reportedly folders coming out of her house that have like just folders that say Eric Adams on them. And Nick went and hung out outside of Brianna Suggs's parents' home where she lives with them. Just again, telling you what a classic New York City Zoomer she is, which is just like, yeah, you're of course <laughs> going to live with your parents, even if you are making bank. Yeah, I mean, I, we should just say here that like Adams has been asked about like, why why do you have a, a, a someone in their early 20s handling your $8 million mayoral campaign? And 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 his response is that it's about opportunity and and young black women don't, you know, aren't often given given chances like this. And uh, and he wanted to do that. So, so you know, that's that's sort of the the official line on this. Since since everything went down, uh, Brianna is 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 no longer uh, chief fundraiser for the reelection campaign, and 
uh, I think it was just last week that that Adams clarified that her new role is basically like shuffling papers, handling paperwork for for the campaign. But again, like this, as Max pointed out earlier, like these campaigns are, if you're getting public matching funds from the city, it requires like an extreme attention to detail. So I, it's like, I wonder who is now his new chief fundraiser, if not Brianna Suggs. A 24-year-old. <laughs> yeah, he's just going to keep getting younger. We have some interns. The Leo DiCaprio of, of campaign. <laughs> <laughs> you hit 25, he's got to like reset. <laughs> there are also just so many... And Adams is so has been so willing to like appoint people to six figure jobs that actually don't appear to do anything that it's kind of crazy to wanting to give a young person opportunity by appointing them to one of the most technically hazardous things you could possibly ask a person to do. And it could get you into serious legal trouble, which brings us to the next person on our list that we want to talk about, who is the wonderfully named Vito Pita. Uh, who I cannot recommend enough uh, looking at the photo that we're running of Mr. Pita. He is an <laughs> extremely distinct looking individual. He is the campaign's lawyer. I kind of got to dig into Vito Pita. He's his like comes from a long line of like kind of outer borough uh, power players. His grandfather um, founded, helped, helped kind of found the Hotel Trades Council, which is now the Hotel Trades and Gaming Council, which we'll also discuss a little bit later. And then his dad started this lobbying firm and law firm, and which he now kind of stands to inherit. Uh, what's really, really interesting about Vito Pita is that, you know, he is a lobbyist, first and foremost. Pita had been brought on a few years before the mayoral election to help craft Eric Adams's political message. He was advising, he was his political consultant, and he was basically going to work as this go-between between Eric Adams and unions. Um, but what's really interesting is at the same time that he was working as this go-between between Eric Adams and the unions to try to win their endorsement, he himself was also on the payroll of the unions to try to lobby Eric Adams as borough president to do certain things. This got like other campaigns during the primary got pretty pissed off over this arrangement. They gave some quotes to the city, uh, the publication basically saying like, yeah, we felt we didn't have a really fair shot in these meetings where we were going for possible endorsements, seeing as though Eric Adams's guy was literally uh, already working for the unions themselves. But it worked, you know, there's nothing illegal about anything Vito Pita did. He's the campaign's lawyer. He's not spearheading Eric Adams's personal defense, but he is kind of representing the campaign. He's also part of this fundraising apparatus for legal defense uh, of Eric Adams that that has sprung up in recent weeks. Um, Vito Pita, great name, interesting guy. Uh, definitely worth a look at his entry and, you know, a guy that just likes getting paid and who can blame him. If you're enjoying this conversation, can I ask you to subscribe to Hellgate? Hellgate is a worker-owned news outlet that is powered by your subscriptions. Subscribe now at our highest level and get a brand new Hellgate tote bag. We've tested this tote bag out. You could fit so much stuff in there. It is, it is, I, I, I could barely see the bottom of this tote bag. Anyway, subscribe, and now back to our conversation. Cha-ching, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Looking at all these entries and noticing how many times things look or sound fishy but are actually legal, 
Um, it's like a common theme, like good government groups have been saying this about New York state for years and years in that, like, there are so many, um, what to a reasonable person would seem like are conflicts of interests that are completely kosher under the law. And guess what? It's the people who make the laws who tend to utilize these um, mechanisms and so are therefore disincentivized to do anything about them. And that was a common theme at the table of success over and over again. And, And I should also point out that like, you know, Mayor Adams is not the first New York City mayor to employ a legal defense fund. Our former tall king, Bill de Blasio, had a legal defense fund for his own investigation. When Adams is asked about this stuff, he always points to that. And I think rightfully so. It's like, hey, like this guy did it and I'm going to do it too. And why the double standard here? And that kind of like sidesteps the, <laughs> the bigger question, but he's not wrong. It's like, yeah, this is what mayors do. They are investigated for things and they have to pay fancy pants attorneys and, you know, they get to raise money to pay for those fancy pants attorneys. All right. So we talked a little bit about the campaign and uh, people who are defending it. Let's talk a little bit about people who fund Eric Adams's campaign. These are like big names who any mayor that's running for the city probably would take money from these guys. These are, you know, usually dudes in real estate who either throw fundraisers or give big amounts of money. But we decided to profile a few of them. And, and especially as it relates to the upcoming casino licenses. So, Chris, do you want to walk us through Mark Holliday and, and how he kind of fits into everything? To sort of build off your point there, like Eric Adams taking real estate contributions. I mean, this was an issue during the campaign. Um, you had some people saying that they would not take contributions from real estate and Eric Adams saying, no, I will. In fact, on the campaign trail, Eric Adams famously said the phrase, I am real estate because he does own pieces of real estate in Brooklyn and in Fort Lee, New Jersey. So so Mark Holliday is the CEO of SL Green. Um, You might have seen SL Green's name on a a building that you have worked at around town because they are the city's largest commercial real estate landlord. Their, Their crown jewel right now is one Vanderbilt, that skyscraper right next to Grand Central Station. That is kind of like the east side's answer to Hudson Yards. Mark Holiday has been the CEO of SL Green for, for quite some time, for well over a decade. And I guess one of the things like researching, you know, I, I'll just say like SL Green and Mark Holiday have, you know, they've, they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars every year to lobby government officials. You know, Holiday himself gave 50 G's to a PAC that heavily supported Adams. SL Green chipped in another 10K. They're playing the long game, which right now involves trying to build a casino in New York City. They want to build a Caesars Palace, and they want to do it with Jay-Z, who's also at the table of success, Jay-Z's Rock Nation. When I say the long game, I mean that like way back in 2009, and they needed Eric Adams' help. And Eric Adams was a state senator at the time. Um, He was part of the group of politicians, lawmakers, who was going to decide like who got the ability to build the Aqueduct Racino, which we all know and love. There was this amazing Inspector General report that came out in 2010 that looked at like the bidding process. And basically it said that Eric Adams exercised exceedingly poor judgment in that process. There were like lawmakers who were leaking information to lobbyists. Eric Adams attended a victory party 
for the company that eventually won the bid. Um, the report didn't lead to any charges, but the people named in the report would later go on to be convicted of, of crime separately. Where does Mark Holiday and SL Green fit in all this? They hired Eric Adams's political mentor to lobby him and the state. And it didn't pan out. They, they lost that bid. So all of this history and more is in the table of success. The SL Green entry, the Mark Holiday entry, check it out. It was fun to research. I was about to say when we um, sell Hellgate and completely cash out, we have to decide, are we going to have our, when we swim in money, are we going to have our party at Zero Bond or Asteria Labaya? You know, there's just three great, <laughs> Don't three great Casa Cipriani. I just want to put that out there now oh, you know, as, we're, yeah. as we're growing. Yeah, Casa Cipriani also. Oh, also shit. Do, do you guys, uh, is, how it, could I? is it, Cipriani or Cipriani? I think it's Cipriani. N- Nicholas Pinto, as the as the resident um, Italian American <laughs> on this call, can you tell us if it's Cipriani or Cipriani? That is extremely <laughs> offensive. I mean, I mean, prop, prop. Yeah, first of all, offensive. Second of all, uh, uh, I mean, properly, it should be Cipriani. But but who knows what what Americans are doing? And and uh, in a Lana Del Rey song, she pronounces it Cipriani. So so from the heights to the relative um, lows, we're speaking, of course, about our short king, the guy that you hire when you want a casino, when you want to do business with Eric Adams, when you want anything in New York right now, the guy you got to get on your payroll is who? Frank Carone. Chris, you spent a lot of time uh, in the world of Frank Carone. Um, he's, he's the former chief of staff of Eric Adams. He's the former lawyer for the Brooklyn Democratic Party. Why does everybody have Frank Carone on speed dial? And why is he so important to every, like almost everyone on this table? I want to, I want to note that on our script for this, it says in brackets, let Chris go off on this for a while, which I think <laughs> does gonna... sum up that history very well, you know? I won't go off that long. I mean, look, it's, it's Frank Carone has been representing businesses that do business or want to do business with New York City for years. Um, He was also appointed as a taxi limousine commissioner by Bill de Blasio. He's friends with Bill de Blasio, has been friends with the previous mayor, is extremely close to Eric Adams. They've had Thanksgiving dinner together. Eric Adams said that Frank Carone, when he was chief of staff for just one year, um, was the first person he spoke to in the morning and the last person he spoke to at night. And like, you know, it, this just, the amount of power that he had um, within City Hall, it, it's tough to overstate. But like, you know, he got that power because he seemingly knows everyone in business. And he also has like a long track record of acting as the Brooklyn Democratic Party's uh, legal secretary so doing work for the Brooklyn Democratic Party. And if you've read stories about Brooklyn Democrats over the past few years, you know, every other headline talks about like how dysfunctional they are. Part of that is because younger people come up in the party. They try and institute reforms in the Democratic Party. The older guard doesn't like the reforms or thinks the reformers are misguided and they fight. You know, Carone in these fights was on the side of the old guard. He was working to ensure that his the guy who ran the party for a very long time, Frank Sedio, maintained his grip on power. So you have, you know, he has one foot firmly in in business around New York City, and the other foot firmly in like Brooklyn politics. And you know, that's Eric Adams as well. Like notably, when Eric Adams was running for Brooklyn Borough President, Frank Carone was the guy to kick off Adams's one opponent off the ballot using a legal challenge. Frank Carone works as a chief of staff for a year. He leaves in early 2023 
almost immediately sets up this global consulting firm. And his clients are S.L. Green, Mark Holiday, who has hired him to help them get a casino license for that casino that they want to build with Caesars and Jay-Z's Rock Nation. The Durst organization, the another like massive real estate family, hired Frank Carone to consult on business for them um, at the same time that Durst was like fighting these environmental regulations. Um, so you have these like what what would appear to be obvious conflicts, but there's no technical law against them, except basically one that the city's conflict of interest board sets that says, you know, anything that someone, you know, coming from City Hall does in the private sector, they can't work on the stuff they worked on in City Hall. It's not clear that it's being robustly enforced. And, you know, Carone has said over and over again, like, I've recused myself, I recuse myself, I'm not, you know, nothing's untoward here. Speaking to a lot of people about Frank Crow, one thing they make like clear is like, well, he's a lawyer, like he knows the front and the back of what's the law. And, you know, he would never cross that line. Um, you know, which Chris is saying, like, yeah, might be 1000% true. I do like that he called his consulting firm Oak Tree, um, which to me sounds like the fake firm that they created in Wolf of Wall Street when they were like, what are two things that people can really believe in? Like, Oak Trees. <laughs> okay, uh, so we've talked a little bit about who Eric Adams's uh, daytime friends are, which he has many, uh, but we should talk a little bit about his personal life, his romance life, his nightlife, because this is also a part of him. Like, he wants to be known as the unofficial nightlife mayor, even though we now have a new nightlife mayor. Like, he is a New Yorker who's like, he said, you've got to taste the goods if you're going to enjoy, you know, New York City. Eric Adams is really deft at using um, the kind of ambiguities of nightlife settings to network to build actual political power that seems to lead to uh, success for him and his friends. It's hard to point a finger when uh, people can just be like, oh, what, you're mad that I was at a party? Even since earlier in his career, he has been using gatherings at restaurants, clubs, all this stuff to like make friends, make connections, and then be able to sort of equivocate about uh, how significant it is to his political career. And, and he's always out and about. He's rarely ever home because... You know, which led to the ambiguity of where does he even live? We don't really know. Even at this point, like some people are, you know, it's reported that he spends some nights at Gracie Mansion and some nights with Tracy Collins. Uh, what do we know about Tracy? I mean, Tracy Collins is, by all appearances, sometimes Eric Adams. <laughs> I hate to use the term primary partner, but like she is his date to the Met. She was his date to the Met Gala in 2022. Um, they were together at the Thanksgiving Day Parade this year. Hanging out here at the Macy Parade, a beautiful day for weather. Tracy liked to balloon, SpongeBob. <laughs> you know, but a lot of fun. You know, if you haven't been out yet, come on and make it out. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to all. I say primary partner because Eric Adams has intimated that although he is in a relationship, presumably with Collins. That is not the limit of his uh, romantic life, is how we all say that. Um, as, as he put it, he's single, but in a relationship, which is... But in incredible. a real relationship. But it, right, no, no, hold on. You know what? It happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, we could talk a little... I mean, the other thing that, that uh, we, you know, Collins is known for is that she 
uh, once Eric Adams uh, ended up uh, as mayor, she got a really dope promotion into the Department of Education. She's making way more money than she used to. Um, you know, that's just something that happens to people in Eric Adams's orbit. They end up with like really nice city gigs. The other person that we'll mention briefly, uh, that is in Eric Adams's sphere that he also owns an apartment with maybe, uh, in Prospect Heights is this woman, uh, Sylvia Cowan. Doesn't Sylvia also live in Fort Lee? Does she? I think we yeah, saw a picture she of her owns, in Fort Lee. She also, she owns. In the Sylvia same building. Cowan owns an apartment in the same building as Tracy Collins and Eric Adams. Yes. He does seem to have a habit of being with people, buying property with them, and then being cagey about their relationship, slash if he's, uh, A, lives at that property, or B, um, has a share in that property. So um, he's a little bit messy on that front. Um, and, and, you know, just to kind of like round out his kind of familial part of the table of success, we can't ignore his son, Jordan Coleman, Adlin, you texted with him a bunch. What, what's up with Jordan? I mean, speaking of like, where the fuck does Eric Adams live? Um, you know, you people, people <laughs> probably remember. I think that I think that one of the big things from the Eric Adams campaign that like most people remember is the interview that he gave an apartment in Bed Stuy when people were like. Well, you have these apartments in Fort Lee. Do you actually live in New York City? And that apartment in Bed-Stuy, we should say that New York Magazine did a piece where they saw him seeming to stay there overnight. But people thought it was really funny that there was a bed with a bunch of sneakers lined up next to it that appeared to most people to be the thing that only a young man about his son's age would do his son is Jordan Coleman, born in 1996. Adams at that time had a partner named Christina Coleman. In that interview that he gave in front of that Bedsty apartment, um, where Jordan was also present, talked about not being, you know, because of his political ambitions, not being able to go to a lot of Jordan's football games and his birthdays. And in a New Yorker interview, Jordan said that. Like at times when his father wasn't really around, he thought of him more as a quote unquote metaphorical father. During his childhood, he like has displayed that he's like a really, he was like a really ambitious kid. He played the voice of Tyrone the Moose on the Backyardigans. And then he said that uh, his mom and dad encouraged him to use the earnings from his voice acting career to fund his first film, which he made at 12 years old. And then in high school, he made another movie called Paying the Price, a cautionary tale about teen dating violence. For most of his young life, he seemed to like be really determined to like forge his own career in entertainment. As the years have gone on, it's just gotten weirder and weirder, where he's like turning up on an Albanian singing competition, uh, essentially an Albanian uh, form of American Idol, doing an English language rap song. I asked him about uh, an event in San Francisco he was at where people were trying to get a really lucrative lease developing a Chinatown building uh, were also in attendance. And he just says, I'm working on a narrative film about the history of Chinatown and its relationship with NYC. After doing research, I realized that there were multiple Chinatowns throughout the country. I didn't know much about the culture, but I knew I needed to visit for the film to make sense. It's another case of just like, using ambiguity to just kind of avoid what is glaringly obvious to like anyone who is observing 
it's also just really funny that, you know, Eric Adams is writing all of these books being like, this is how you should raise your son. This is how you should raise your teen. When like both he and his son admit like they were not really in each other's lives when he was being raised. We're going to be talking about even more during this next episode. We're going to continue nightlife. And then we're going to talk about the cops in Eric Adams's life and then who's surrounding him in City Hall right now. Hellgate is me, Max Rivlin-Nadler, Christopher Robbins, Adlin Jackson, Katie Way, Esther Wong, and Nick Pinto. Our business manager is Nadia Tykolsker. This episode was produced by Ben Elman. You can check us out online all the time at www.hellgatenyc.com. <laughs>